we're in the book of Ephesians, and I am in control of the clicker, which is a bad thing. So when you see that I'm behind, uh, you need to say, Brian, you forgot to hit the slide. And I'll go, oh, I did, because inevitably I will get caught up in something other than slide movements. So we've been in Ephesians, and, and uh, this is a, been a, you've slept since we started Ephesians. So let's, uh, let's do a little bit of review uh, tonight. And uh, did, I didn't pause. Was there anybody online that had a prayer request, Ray? I didn't mean to slight them. I just I asked them, and then I took off without them. Is there anyone online? You have people online. Awesome. So you online folks, we're glad that you're with us. When you get stuck at home, especially if, you, if there's anyone online that's been uh, not been able to come because of COVID, I just want you to know that we have not forgot about you. I know it can feel pretty isolated. I, I've been on the phone with several and uh and uh and it's just not fun and so uh our hearts are with you i know going arnie's you know if he could be here he would he's like he's tired of being at home in the basement so he's we're finding covid friendly ways to engage him he still comes in and does his church business and uh does virtual meetings and mows mows by himself in the back you know and uh stuff like that but uh I don't know if I'm supposed to tell anyone that. That might be breaking some rule that he's supposed to be under. But anyway, uh, it's just you get a little stir crazy after a while. I know the Fagans that live down the street here. They're they're uh, they're having to be, take it easy, and, and they're you know it's just not it's not a fun thing. Like Brian and Carmen Johnson, and so on and so forth. I can go down the list. Bob and Sharon Bolton, and uh, and uh, and so and David, and and there's many others. So. So if you're out watching tonight, we're glad that you're watching. If you're any of those folks or the others that I've negated, Jan Smith's another one who's had surgery today. So we pray that it's a blessing. And uh, and it's because of faithful folks like Ray Blowers and Ron at, back in the booth that we're able to get this broadcast out tonight. And we pray that you enjoy that. And we pray a blessing to those guys and the gals that work week in and week out to help. Uh, and so uh, let's do this. Um, let me remind you of our purpose for this study. I'm going to do a little bit of review. If you have a hand, anybody need a handout that I missed? Or that actually Stan, it's hard to find all the people here, Stan. So um, we are COVID friendly, by the way. If you're looking for a Bible study that has plenty of elbow room, this is it. You got plenty of room. You do not have to be within six feet or even 12 feet of your neighbor. So uh, you have plenty of room to move about. All right, so the, the purpose of our study is to reveal Christ's sufficiency the church's unity and the Christian's duty through the study of these uh, this prison epistle to the Ephesians, Paul's prison epistle to Ephesus. The theme of the of the study is building the body of Christ in the image and likeness of Christ. And so, uh, in that purpose, I have an outline. Now, this is more of a teaching series than a preaching series. Sunday morning is more like preaching time. So this is more of a I'm teaching through this a lot more than I would on a Sunday where I'm preaching. So I'm going a little slower than I normally would. Um, but uh, in Ephesians 1 and 2, we see Christ's deity, which if you've got a fresh outline, you may have an old outline where we covered this. Um, I think I probably... Oh, they've already flipped the slides for me. Who did that? Thank you, Ray. So we see Christ's deity uh, in verses 3 and 4, or chapters 3 and 4, it reveals Christ's unity, and we're in chapter 3. I'll be really highlighting that in the next couple uh, weeks. Uh, and then in Ephesians 5 and 6, we see Christian's duty. Um, and so in Ephesians chapter 3, 1 and, uh, through 12, we're dealing with the revelation to the body of Christ. In, uh, in verses 13 through 21, we're dealing with intercession uh, for the body of Christ. And then in chapter 4, 
when we get there, we're going to be dealing with the unity of the body of Christ. Uh, and then we'll be talking about the diversity of the body of Christ. And we'll be talking then about the responsibility of the body of Christ. And then it gets really practical because when we get back to chapter 5 or five and 6, then we get back to the duty, right? How do you practically apply this stuff? And so God gives us all that, and I'm looking forward to that. All right, so uh, and so now we're going to be looking up here. going to start off. Let me get back. There we go. Um, just by way of review, there's the responsibility. Uh, put off the old man and then put on the new man. I've already given you an outline of where we're going, so you got all the notes for 14 through 32 of chapter chapter 32. Actually, I did that to remind myself uh, in future reference, so I don't forget to talk about that. But that's in the text. You put it's that simple of an outline um, in chapter four, uh, how to put off the old man and how to put on the new man. All right, so moving on. So let's talk about just where we've been, and I'm going to fly over this real quick. Uh, and get to where we left off last time and then pick it up, and that'll take the balance of our time. So just by way of introduction and reminder, really, uh, this is review. Um, Our true identity is predicated on humility. Our true identity is predicated on humility. So when we find, uh, when when, when God of the universe model, he modeled that for us, and we can do nothing else but follow because we're of his seed. Our, our, our nature is his nature. So Paul modeled that for us as well. So if we don't have humility, then we're not going to be very effective uh, represent, representations of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so before he unloads even more life uh, uh, and eternity changing information about our relationship with Christ and his body... Uh, which he will at the end of chapter 3. He starts saying, now I want you guys to know what is the width. I want you to know the breadth, the height, the depth. I want you to know the magnitude. Comprehend all of this. There's some things that, as we get into intercession where he prays in, in verses uh, uh, 13 through 21 that are pretty huge. And then he unpacks a lot of that in chapter 4. Uh, what is the depth? What is the length? What is the height? You're going to have to wait to come back to hear all that and what I'm going to tell you about that. Uh, and I'll tell you what I've been taught, and then I'm going to tell you what I really believe the answers are based from the Word of God. So you'll have to hang on to that. That's my little cliffhanger or whatever it is. You've got to wait to get to that information. So there's a lot that Paul wants to give the church at Ephesus, but before he does that, he starts off, and he actually models for them humility in chapter 3 and verse 1, when he says, For this cause I, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, uh, and if you have your Bible, look down there at verse, chapter 3 and verse 1, uh, what cause is he talking about? Well, I'm glad you I'm glad you asked. So if you go back to chapter 2 and verse 19, he says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Whoa, you've been brought into this, and ye are built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. So he's talking about the supernatural building project. I'm, I'm actually teaching uh, church planning right now in HBI, and I'm, I'm actually working through the principles. I'm using the Old Testament pictures, but Paul called himself a wise master builder in Corinthians, and he says, you know what? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a husbandman. I'm a wise master builder. God has given him the blueprint, just like he gave uh, Moses for the tabernacle, David and Solomon for the temple. And so uh, he says, this is the cause. For this cause, I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ, for you Gentiles, if you've heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given 
uh, me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery as I wrote afore in a few words. So Paul has the information, things that have been revealed to the Apostle Paul, so Christ can do what he said in Matthew 16, 18 and build his church. He's building his church, and he's using human instrumentation. You don't build a big project without having a superintendent. You need a general foreman. You need all kinds of people that understand the plans. And before you ever build anything, you understand it all on paper. And God revealed to the Apostle Paul what the church was going to be like so that he could be a part of putting it together. Now, of course, Jesus is building the church, but Paul is the one who is assembling it, right? He is pulling the parts together, and he is the wise master builder. So notice what Paul said, though. He says, I'm a prisoner. I'm a prisoner for you Gentiles. And, and in the opening sentence of his epistle, he's dealing with the Godhead and the deity. We spent a lot of time in chapters 1 and 2 just dealing with all of this heady stuff about God's, you know, who God is. But when it comes right down to it, you know, uh, Paul here is saying, but I'm just a, I'm a prisoner. Now, in his introduction to the Ephesians in chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints which are at Ephesus and to the faithful in Jesus Christ, when he comes to the the introductory comment, the very first words of the chapter of the book, he says, I am the Apostle Paul. I'm the Apostle of Jesus Christ um, uh, by the will of God. He doesn't hold back. He is in complete authority in regard to his calling. But when he comes down to actually pulling things together in chapter 3 and, and uh, working on their unity, he comes in and he says, and by the way, uh, I'm just a prisoner. Uh, he goes from the Apostle to the prisoner, and he is noting his place in the body of Christ. His authority is that of an apostle, but his place is that of a prisoner. And so, again, I believe he has an incredible leadership par paradigm there because he's serving, um, allowing, of course, the Lord puts all the weight on him, but he is just a servant of the Lord. So God uses that in a mighty way. So he tells, the, tells us in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, to be followers of him as he is of Christ. And we talked about all that, and we talked about being humble. So let's just kind of review again. Uh, some of these things that he taught. Number one, oops, let me back up. I lost my way. Uh oh, we lost something, didn't we? Man, that's like the holy of holies. I don't know what we're gonna, we're going to get raptured any second. Get ready. All right. So anyway, so um, so in Ephesians chapter three, let's just keep working through the text. We see this revelation of the body of Christ in verse four. He says, "Whereby." When you read, you may understand my knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now, revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets. So they didn't understand what he knew, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. I mean, that was like they did not know in the Old Testament. In other ages, it wasn't known to the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles, not just the apostle Paul, but also the other 12 apostles in Jerusalem, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body. Fellow heirs uh, meaning joint heirs with Christ and, of course, receiving, um, uh, receiving promises from God equal or even in many respects greater than that of the nation of Israel and the Jews and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. So just through the gospel alone that we get this. Okay, we're back. And that was quick. Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God unto, unto me by effectual working of his power. Unto me, who am less than the least of the saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things 
by Jesus Christ. All right, I'm going to pause there because we're going to pick a lot of this up in just a minute, verse by verse. So he's got this mystery that God has given him the opportunity to reveal uh, in verse 8, and to me, I'm less than the least of the saints, right? I'm nobody, but you know what? God has given me to preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he has this role in the body of Christ to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, the mystery which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ. So he's revealing this mystery. All right, so let's talk about that. So the revelation of an alternate identity, just by way of review, that's what he's done. He says, you know what? I've got an alternate identity. I'm not only the apostle uh, of, of Jesus Christ by the will of God to the saints, but I'm also the prisoner, right? So we've already touched on that. And uh, I'm not going to go through every detail, but he talks about spiritual authority as the apostle, and then he reveals the reality that he was a prisoner. We spent a lot of time on that. I'm going to flip through that. And then uh, we get to, I, I talked about this dispensational chart, if you remember. All people have an alternate identity, just a practical application. And then in verse 2, he talks about this dispensation. Now, that's a biblical word. There's a lot of people today that don't even, they really knock the dispensation uh, word around. He says, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God, which is given to me, to you, word, right? And then he goes on and starts talking about that, how he, that has been revealed to him and to the church by, via him. Uh, well, you know, the word dispensation is a word that we uh, find in the Bible. It's defined in the Bible. Uh, and I've talked about how dispensation is a revelation of how God dispenses his grace uh, in time. Uh, there's a responsibility. There's a steward. There's a, a failure. There's a judgment. And that should all be in the notes in which we've, we've covered. And then I, I, I took you through that, and we talked about uh, those four things there that are on the screen responsibility, a steward, a failure, a judgment. Every dispensation goes through those four things. Uh, and then I gave you a big chart, which is just a review for those of you who have been in D2 of the seven dispensations, and it's still in your notes there. And uh, there's more information there than we have time to cover in this Bible study. But we're in this age. Um, I have in my chart, I just saw something that was wrong. I had AD 33 to 2009. That's because that's the last time I edited this chart. So I need to go back and change that. I always put the year I edited it. So it's been a few years since I've edited this chart. But uh, uh, at any rate, um, the, we need to, we need to, and actually those numbers would be off because it's, it's uh, the 33 AD through 2009. I need seven years. So 20, uh, it should be 2000 and, uh, yeah, that's not 12, it'd be 2016. So anyway, that's a messed up chart, at least some of those dates on that left side. But don't worry about that. God, the, 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 uh, the, because uh, we don't really know the day or the hour of the catching away of the church, nor when Daniel's 70th week starts. So, uh, because we are expecting the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ um, because of the voluminous amounts of scripture that point to that in the New Testament. Uh, we don't have to wait for the Feast of Trumpets. We don't have to wait uh, for anything. We're looking for the coming of the Lord at any moment. And, uh, and then he will, it's, he will begin uh, his dealing with the nation of Israel. All right, so the dispensations uh, are laid out for you there, and I'm not going to go back through all that, but I'm getting closer to where we left off. Um, and in every dispensation, there's a responsibility, there's a steward, there's a failure, and there is a judgment. And Paul is, is revealing uh, them, to them this dispensation of grace uh, of God, which is given me to you, word, right? So it started, Paul got the information, but the reason he got the information was to share it. 
you know, uh, when God gives you something, you don't have to share everything God gives you. God gave me something pretty person, personal this week. Uh, in my, I'm in Leviticus, and uh, and so I didn't share it online with everybody, but I did get. I talked to my wife about it. But the point is, because I need to make some certain decisions based on what God showed me in my daily reading, and uh, and uh, one was a sin of omission, and one was a sin of commission. So. I was like, man, Amy, I got to share with you these things that God showed me by reading His Word today, and um, and so there's a lot of the private, you know, things that go on in the Word of God. But ultimately, uh, reality is, is that God, the first thing that God gives you that you need to share, is the gospel, right? I don't mean you have to share your dirty laundry with everybody, but the gospel definitely you need to be sharing with everybody. Uh, in Leviticus, the first sacrifice is a burnt offering. That first sacrifice represents. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection for us. He was completely consumed for our sin so that we could be so that we could be forgiven, right? In the Old Testament, that covered sin. In the New Testament, it cleanses from sin. So praise the Lord for the perfect sacrifice. And that's really what Paul's saying, man. We have this gospel, this good news, and it's not just given to me. It's given to me, to you, Lord. And this is a dispensation. This is a God is dispensing this through me to you. And God gives you the gospel so it can go not just to you but through you. So everybody listening, even if you're at home, you can get on Facebook and start talking to people, even if you can't get out of your house. Yeah, you know, we've had widows and such that can't get out of their house. They're homebound, or they're in a nursing home, but they still write cards, or they still pray, and they're still active in the ministry because, you know what, God has given us something to give to other people. So anyway, so that's all just review, and um, I'm going to keep moving. So we eventually got down here to revealing the mystery of the body of Christ, and that was really important. So uh, we talked about defining it, de- delegating the dispensation of grace in verse 2, uh, the need for revealing the mystery uh, of the body of Christ, uh, revealing the mystery of the body of Christ in verses 3 through 5. Uh, and then I jumped into another discussion with you of, of the seven mysteries, uh, and we talked about defining uh, the mysteries uh, and so, um, I'm not going to run through all the verses, but the seven mysteries that we saw, let me back up, the mystery of godliness. Now, you should know this, by the way. Talk about dispensing. If you're born again and you're in a, in a Bible-believing church like ours, or any Bible-believing church, but like ours, a church that believes the Bible, uh, you should know the seven dispensations. You should know these. You should understand. There's a reason. Because in, in, uh, in Corinthians, the Bible tells us that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. Now, you don't have to agree with me that there's some people say, well, there's 12 because you can do a word search and find 12 different references or what have you. All right, whatever. You can do that if you want. At Heartland, we use we teach seven, seven mysteries, whatever you want to do. But definitely there's seven. And uh, if you want to parse them out to 12, go for it. But you should know where they are and what they're talking about. We count them here as the mystery of godliness. Of course, that's the manifestation of God in the flesh. Uh, those are the references. The mystery of Christ and the church. We're going to get to more of that in Ephesians 5 and verse 32. We're heading toward that. Uh, that's part of the magnitude of the things that God wants us to comprehend that Paul's going to pray for at the last half of this chapter. Then there's the mystery of Israel's restoration. Oh, that's a huge one that I mentioned uh, last time that we were here. A lot of people have, let me get there, a lot of people um, have no idea about that. I missed this one. Christ in you, the hope of glory, right? The mystery of Christ in you, Colossians 1:27. And then the mystery of Israel's restoration. There's a lot of people today that don't really believe that Israel's going to actually get the promises that God promised them. They don't believe that they're going to get the promised land. They don't believe that there is any a millennial 
uh, inheritance to Israel, that Jesus was literally going to return to the planet and rule and reign through Jerusalem, just like the Bible clearly teaches in the Old Testament, that all those promises have been given, that those are now spiritual promises given to whatever group that wants to claim them, uh, whether it's the Roman Catholics or there's a number of cults out there that want to do that. So, you know, whatever, or have at it, you're wrong. All right, so, and then there's the mystery of the rapture. And, uh, I mean, I'm not trying to be difficult, but you do not believe the Bible as it's written if you believe that Israel is not, I mean, you can't be any clearer than Romans 9 through 11. Israel is going to get their inheritance. And uh, if you don't believe that, you don't believe the Bible. Yeah, Ron? Amen, yeah. If he drops the promises to Israel, he'll drop the promises to us. So I think we just, oh, there we go, the mystery of the rapture. Boy, this is, I've just come to find out this. There's a lot more confusion about this than there used to be. I mentioned that last time I taught, so I won't rehash all that. But, hey, make sure you understand that the, the, the rapture, the catching away, is the gathering together unto him, is a blessed hope. It's a blessed hope. Uh, there's a reason it's a blessed hope. It's because God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, so be, be encouraged uh, in the coming of the Lord Jesus. Be ready for the coming of the Lord Jesus. There's a lot of teaching that Jesus isn't coming for the church, or there's some intermeddling of the church with the tribulation. Uh, I have friends that put the, tribu- the rapture of the church all the way with the rapture, uh, I mean, at the very end, uh, catching away right before the, the vile judgments are poured out in Revelation, the last few weeks uh, before second coming of Christ, like a U-turn. Woo, we go to heaven, judgment seat of Christ, marriage of the Lamb, come right back. Hey, listen, I ain't, if I've got news for you. If, if I'm living into the tribulation that far, uh, I'm talking about the great tribulation for you refiners of, of the, of the, that are being particular on that. If I'm in Daniel's 70th week, let me put it this way. If I'm in Daniel's 70th week, period, I'm not looking for the blessed hope. I'm looking probably to get killed to get out of here because if I, it ain't going to be going well for the church, I guarantee you. If the church was here, which the Bible teaches it's not, there's a catching away, a gathering together unto him that will occur. It doesn't mean it won't get rough, by the way, before that happens, but it's going to get exceedingly rough in the coming tribulation uh, period or Daniel's 70th week, uh, the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. After that, those last three and a half years are really going to be rough. Jesus defines it as the great tribulation. But the beginning of sorrows isn't no joke. You're going to have 144,000 Jewish male virgins. You're going to have uh, you're going to have a world economy. You're going to have wars and rumors of wars. You're going to have all kinds of things happening in the first three and a half years. And uh, there ain't no hope in that, I guarantee you. So, uh, so we'll be looking for the coming of the Lord prior to that. Uh, and I'll get into that at maybe another Bible study. So the mystery of Babylon the Great uh, is also, oh, I missed one. The mystery of iniquity, um, you know, the mystery of iniquity doth already work. And so Second Thessalonians 2 and verse 7 um, the, the coming Antichrist is going to come upon the scene, and that government's going to be established. That's what the revelation of Jesus Christ in large part's about, is a land grab. Uh, Israel has inheritance on this earth and dominion uh, to rule the Gentile nations, and uh, they're going to get to do that in the millennium, but not before the mystery of iniquity, the, the land grab, and um, uh, mystery Babylon religion get together. Uh, and steal God's property and try to take the earth over. And uh, that's not going to happen. So Jesus comes back and sets all that straight. So a lot of those things you learn uh, in, the, in the word of God. And, and so you have this, this word mystery uh, that, that we understand in the New Testament is the revelation of things that were not revealed in the Old Testament, but now are given to us things that we can know, not things that we cannot know. 
So it's not like turn out the lights, get mystical, do some, you know, some sort of however they do that, you know, Eastern meditation and get mystical and go, oh, God, I need the deep, dark truths. You know, they're not deep. They're, they're actually revealed truths. God gives us those things. So we should know those things. All right. So Paul says, hey, God's given me all this so you guys can know it as a church. And uh, and so now I'm going to slow down a bit and uh, just pick up where we left off, because if you have an old outline, you're going to be picking up here at our next point in just a minute. So let me just pick up from there. So when we talk about the mystery of the grace of God, most of us understand the mystery of the body of Christ today. But during the first century, it was hidden from even the apostles and prophets until Christ revealed it to Paul, then to the other apostles. Now, Paul is the one who got it first. Peter was also working it out that the Gentiles could receive the gospel. You get that, right? Because he's He's over there, and Simon the Tanner's getting saved, you know, while he's at Simon Tanner's house. And then he goes over in Cornelius and his buddies in Caesarea. They received the Spirit of God with just hearing the preaching. They didn't have to get baptized. He's like, well, (laughs) they got the Spirit, so I guess they need to get baptized, which sets a pattern for the Gentile and for the church to this day, right? We see we get the gospel by grace through faith. So that mystery was revealed, though, through Paul. And then it was confirmed with the apostles. And what Paul is saying here in Ephesians 3, 3 through 5 is that it was, was earth-shattering both to the Jews and the Gentiles at that time uh, during Paul's ministry. This stuff that we just kind of take for granted. Ho-hum, ask Jesus Christ in your heart. Now I'm part of the body of Christ. Da, 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 da. That's words. When the Chiefs play? You know, we just kind of go through life. Man, we don't really get the magnitude of what Paul was, was revealing. It's huge. And the mystery was first made known to Paul by revelation of the Lord. Now, that's recorded for us here in Galatians 2. He says, Then 14 years after I went up again uh, to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, I went up by revelation and communicated unto them the gospel, which I preach among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. So he says, You know what? When I came to bring the gospel to these dudes, um, I was really wise about it because I knew it was a lot for them to handle. So before I went public with this new revelation that I got, I privately went to the leadership uh, that had this, obviously in Galatia, these were churches started in synagogues, and a lot of these men had Jewish backgrounds. And he went to the leadership privately, and he said, hey, I've got new revelation, and I need to sit down with you and talk about it. Why? Because he didn't want to bust out this new revelation among a bunch of people uh, that, by the way, weren't the leaders, and, and then and then have all the leaders say, what in the world are you talking about? That wouldn't have been very considerate of the Apostle Paul, would it? And so the Apostle Paul didn't do that. Uh, obviously, he didn't back off on preaching the truth, but he did it with great wisdom. And so... Uh, Though God revealed the mystery to Paul, it'd be like me. God says, oh, Brian, you got some new revelation that that, that most of the church hasn't seen in the New Testament. Well, first of all, that's kind of a dangerous place to be, isn't it? You you really want to bounce that. If there's something you know that nobody else has thought of, you might want to go back and check that again, you know, uh, because uh, there's nothing new under the sun. But let's just, for argument's sake, let's say that there was some nuance to the Bible that was just now something that, by the way, there are things like that that you do see as you study the Bible. Maybe you haven't found the person that's also seen it that way. But you usually back off a little bit on that. I have certain things, especially in prophecy like that, in regarding the great white throne judgment. I can think of several things that I kind of see it this way, but I've not yet heard anyone else preach on it. So I just kind of let that lie. I might mention it on a Bible study. I might talk about it. But if somebody's like, no, Brian, no, I'm not. Hey, it's going to work out the way God says. It doesn't matter. I mean, it, I know how it's going to go. 
But if it's a major doctrinal issue, then I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to probably talk to, to several pastors and say, man, are you seeing this, or do you see a reason why this is not going to work? And, uh, and if, they, if they could give me some good, solid reasons, then you know, perhaps I might want to back off on that, especially, Paul's like, especially before I go public with this thing. And, uh, and so before he communicated it unto them the gospel that he preached to the Gentiles, first he did it privately with those that were of reputation so that he could continue to run his race because he didn't want to stumble and become a stumbling block. All right, so though God revealed uh, the mystery to Paul, uh, he is the steward, and it was also revealed to the Jewish apostles. So Peter was chastened by Paul because Peter was not embracing the liberty of the grace of Christ among the Gentile church. Right, so Paul expected others to, to, you know, not just put up, but, you know, do what you're supposed to. And here in, in uh, Genesis, uh, what is that, put up or shut up? That's right. So here in one hand, Peter knows better, and Paul has to take him to task because the mystery's been revealed, but Peter's like backing up on it. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. No, no, because people of reputation came. So Paul was sensitive to people's reputation, but he wasn't going to be a stumbling block as well. Paul, in general, he's just handling this very wisely. So conversely, you just go to the next verse in Galatians. He says, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And he didn't have to be. And that because false brethren unawares brought in. I'm sorry. Uh, but neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because uh, a false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage to whom we gave place uh, by subjection. No, not for an hour. He says, we didn't put up with that. When we were, not in, when we were up here in, in ministering in Galatia, we didn't put up with people uh, putting, putting us under laws that we didn't have to be under. Uh, not for even an hour, we didn't do that. That the truth of the gospel might continue with you. He's like telling the Galatians, look, we want to, you to understand the liberty that you have in Christ. It's so important. But of these who seem to be somewhat, whatsoever they were, it maketh no matter to me. God accepteth no man's person. For they who seemed to be somewhat in conference added nothing to me. But contrarywise, when they saw the gospel of the uncircumcision was committed unto me, as the gospel of the circumcision was unto Peter, for he that wrought effectually in Peter to the apostleship of the circumcision, the same was mighty in me toward the Gentiles. And when James and Cephas and John, who seemed to be pillars, perceived the grace that was given unto me, they gave me and Barnabas the right hands of fellowship that we should go unto the heathen and they unto the circumcision. So very clearly here, uh, the leadership in Jerusalem, Cephas is Peter, Peter, James, James is the chief pastor, uh, John, right, the big three, Peter, James, and John. They're like, hey, Paul, God bless you, man. You go to the Gentiles and you preach this gospel that God has revealed to you. It's go, go, go you therefore, right? And they shake hands on it. And he's like, and he's like, hey, you guys, we're just going to, you 12, keep going to those Jews and keep trying to convince them that Jesus is Messiah. I'm out. <laughs> Peace out. I'm going, to, I'm going out to the, you know, Samaria and the uttermost. And that's what happened. All right. So how's all good in the neighborhood? But when Peter, in verse 11, was come to Antioch, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. Oops, let me get you there. He was to be blamed for before that certain came from James, he did eat with the Gentiles. Oops. So Peter's indulging in the liberty up in Galatia. You know, they're having some pork ribs or whatever. It's, it's Rib Wednesday up at Branding Iron. They go up there, and Peter's like, man, these, these are pork ribs. I like these. These are awesome. I think they're beef ribs up at Branding Iron. But anyway, let's just say they're pork ribs. And, uh, they're, and he's into it. 
He's eating, and he's going. He's got barbecue on his mouth. He's after it. But when they were come, he withdrew and separated himself, fearing them, which were the circumcision. Whoever came up to represent James comes rolling in, and all of a sudden he's like, uh-oh. And the other Jews dissembled likewise with him, insomuch that Barnabas also, right? He's a minister of consolation. He's the one who brought Paul down to Jerusalem. He's the one who got Paul in Antioch. I mean, Paul, he's a huge... Uh, he's he's a I mean he's easy to get along with. You know what? He even caused a problem because he ended up taking sides with the Jews. But when I, so this bothered this bothered uh, Paul when Barnabas was even carried away with their dissimulation. What does dissimulation mean? You know what simulators are, right? It's something. It's likeness. Yeah, they, they these guys are phonies. And they're and also to dissemble. That's a sin. It's mentioned in the New Testament. You don't want to dissemble. You don't you don't want to be phony. You don't be you know, everybody accuses Christians of being hypocrites. Um, because that's their excuse not to come around the gospel or the church. So okay. Yeah, everybody can say, Yeah, I'm a hypocrite, whatever. But you know what? We really are trying to unify people with Christ and that and that because of Christ it gives us the grace to unify with each other. It doesn't matter. I just heard a statistic today, by the way. The, the most respected uh, uh, institutions in America are the military's number one, still respected. Number two is the church. And they're also the most integrated, by the way. Well, you can argue that. I mean, Harrisonville is about as monolithic in color as any place you're going to go. But even here, we're in, at least in this church, we are integrated, at least socially. So strata-wise, we have every strata at HBF. You know, we have people that have some means, and we have people that literally don't have anything, hardly, uh, socially. And so we welcome all, and we don't care about race either. And so, because God doesn't care. We're a new creature in Christ. It's one of those mysteries. Old things are passed away, behold, all things have become new. So red and yellow, black and white, right? So the church and the military, military is integrated as well. It's interesting in this age in which we live. Those are the two institutions in the, in the uh, United States, anyway, that are still held in the highest regard. And unfortunately, they're not as high as they ought to be. Uh, it's not 100 percent trust. It's a trustworthy factor. I heard that on Glenn Beck. On Glenn Beck quote that today when I was driving somewhere this morning. So, uh, at any rate, uh, not that I'm. That is not an endorsement of him, by the way. So I don't. I don't uh, listen to everything that guy says. I just happened to flip through the radio and hear that. It caught my attention. So <clears throat> when I saw that they walk not uprightly according to the truth of the gospel, this is what what happens. Paul says unto Peter before them all. Hey, if, if thou being a Jew, I put the hey in there. If thou being a Jew livest after the, the manner of the Gentiles and not as do the Jews, why compel us out the Gentiles to live as do the Jews? Hey, Peter, what are you doing? Right? If, if, what, are you, what, are, what are you doing? I mean, you're a hypocrite is what he's telling him. And uh, he was stood him to the face. And, uh, you know, if... if uh, if you're going to live like the Gentiles, why do you want the Gentiles to live like the Jews? What's, what's your problem? So Paul had already written to the Ephesians, as he had to the Romans, of this mystery. Uh, and so he is repeating it so that they understand its importance to the gospel of, the, of, of grace and their identity in Christ. Because remember, I'm really talking about identity here. Paul says, I'm a prisoner, even though he is the apostle. And so he's helping them out here. Paul makes it clear that this mystery was not uh, available in ages past, but was revealed to him. And in Ephesians 3.5, he also makes it clear that the other apostles were privy and understood the mystery revealed to the church by God's grace. So look in verse 5 there. He says, Which in other ages was not known unto the sons of men, 
as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. So this is something that even though it started with Paul, was known. By the time you get to this incident that Paul's recounting to the Galatians, uh, he's like, hey, uh, Peter knew better. And so he's accountable. So let me leave you with that. You're accountable. You're accountable. I'm accountable to what I know. Paul was accountable. So was Peter. And we're, we have this mystery. All right. So let's keep moving. So let's talk about this. The revelation to the body of Christ. All right. So uh, this is the revelation of the dispensation of the grace of God. Uh, we saw the uh, defining uh, dispens- the, we define the dispensation. We, dele- we saw the delegation as it's gone out. We saw uh, the revealing of the mystery of the, of the body of Christ. Now we're going to talk about describing the impact of the mystery of the body of Christ, which is really, really, really where I left off last week. So if you're, or last, whenever it was, I think it was in July, last time I taught this. So, uh, so this is where the blank was left off if you have your old outline. I wanted to kind of get into all that other just to kind of set this up. So now Paul goes to describing in verse 6, uh, the impact uh, of the revelation, the mystery of the body of Christ. So describing the impact, impact of the revelation, of the mystery, I'm sorry, of the body of Christ. And so in verse 6 he says that, all right, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. All you need is the gospel and you are fellow heir of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ. All right, so let's break this out. So notice the word fellow heirs. So this information was not something that was understood before it was re- revealed to Paul, that Gentiles would be fellow heirs. Uh, what in the world? So we see in Acts 10 that it took a vision from Jesus and a sign from Cornelius to get Peter in motion to even go preach to a group of Gentiles. <laughs> I mean, Peter was not minded to go speak to Gentiles. It just was not on his plate, man. He was not... You know, he's like, nah, I don't need to do that. Um, Because, well, that's just not how he saw the kingdom. And so this impact, this this mystery that was revealed, uh, this dispensation of grace, it had an impact on the revelation of the mystery of the body of Christ. It was something that, that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs of the same body and partakers of his promise in Christ by the gospel. Wow. Uh, the concept that there was a body of Christ that was greater than the Jewish nation was hard for the Christians of Jewish background to even comprehend. They kind of were like Americans who don't see Christianity outside of an American context. They're like, if you're not an American, you're not a Christian, which I know in this church seems absurd and, and laughable. That you, nobody here would think that. But you know what? There are people that, because they don't really understand the gospel, the true gospel, there's false gospels out there. There's people who really believe that because they're born in America, they are a Christian. But you know what? That heresy and that fallacy is not only among Americans. There are people from other countries, I've learned, that think that everybody in America, which I don't know how, they must not watch enough television, they think everyone in America is Christian. I'm like, you got to be kidding I go to over to these countries and, you know, very difficult places where they're under oppression and darkness and other false religions and, and persecuted heavily. And when they come here, it's like heaven if they can ever get here, but the ones that come here. And then when they get here, because people are polite and because of the influence of Christianity, of course, by the way, if you're not from America, it's not as bad here as you see on television, actually, most of the time. Sometimes it is, but most of the time, people, especially in the Midwest, by the way, people are friendly. 
and engaging. And they come here and they see order and structure and politeness and clean streets. And they think, man, everybody must be a Christian. And they know about Jesus around here. You know, people have heard the name of Christ. But just because they, they know Christ and they, and they don't, you know, want to burn you at the stake like they may do back at home <laughs> doesn't mean that they're saved, right? There's a lot of lost people that know the name of Christ in the United States of America. There's a lot of false religion in the United States of America, and there's just as there is in Europe, right? And so, and so those things are realities. The concept that there was a body of Christ that was greater than the Jewish nation, what are you talking about? You know, Paul had to reveal this, and they had to come to grips with that. That the Jews are not saved, um, that the Jews who are not saved are now blind. I mean, that was, you know, Paul's writing that to the Romans. That's before, by the way, he went down and preached in Jerusalem and then got arrested and had to go to Caesarea and all that. He'd already written Romans chapter 11, 9 through 11, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so all that was already revealed to the Apostle Paul before he ever went and preached his last sermon in Jerusalem. And so... Um, it's interesting. Conversely, as we speak about blindness, uh, you know, who else is blind in the Bible? Other than Israel and Romans, and I'm not going back and looking at Romans 11. I could, but for time's sake, I'm not doing that. Who else is blind in the Bible around this time? I bet Ron knows. Not because Ron was physically blind. Uh, no, that's actually very good, too, because other, the lost people are blind, right? If we don't preach the gospel... Uh, the gospel is hid to them that are lost. So lost people are blind, which tells you that there is an actual war, a tug of war, a tension between our, our fruition to preach the gospel and God's desire and will for us to preach the gospel and sinners need to hear the gospel. Certainly the Holy Spirit's the one who quickens understanding and all of that, but there is an impetus upon us to go out and preach the gospel. It's not just going to happen because it's going to happen. You know, God doesn't need us, but he does want us and he wants to use us. So... Anyway, good verse there. Another verse that I was thinking of is Revelation chapter 3, um, verses 17 through 21, where God says that we live, there's a church of called Laodicea that is blind, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, but she thinks she's rich and increased with goods and has need of nothing. And he says, hey, you know what? You need to put some clothes on. You're looking scantily clad. You need to put some duds on, and you need to anoint thine eyes with eye salve, that you may see because you think you're clothed but you're like the king without any clothes you've been listening to the wrong news <laughs> you don't have any clothes on just because you have property and you have greenbacks and just because you have a nice place to live does not mean you have true riches so the true riches are what we've got to invest in it's the word of god and the souls of men and that's it this church is actively literally investing thousands of dollars uh, in the Word of God, the physical Word of God, but also preaching the Word of God, sending the Word of God around the world. Why? Because we know what the Bible teaches about His Word. It is the thing, along with coupling that with the need of, it fits. The puzzle piece is everyone has a God-sized hole in their heart, and God has the puzzle piece. It's the Word of God. Boink, it just fits right in there, and it locks in, and then poom, people get redeemed, and the riches are in heaven. I mean, that's what it's all about. The Word of God and the souls of men. I know it sounds simple, right? It's trite. People have said it so much. Oh, yeah, the Word of God and the souls of men. Next, no, you don't get over that. I mean, that is really what it's about. But there's so many other things right now. And when you shut down the church, think about how you shut down the church for three months. And look what happens in a country that says that they were founded under God. When you violate Hebrews uh, 10.25 for three months, man, 
all hell breaks loose, right? Because the church truly is, believe it or not, the pillar and the ground of truth. The word is true. Thy word is true. So a church cannot afford to be blind. They cannot afford to overlook or underestimate the importance. I was just teaching this again, and I, I forgive me for melding together my classes, but I was teaching in, a, in, a, in HBI the other night, Tuesday night. That was last night, wasn't it? So uh, last night, feels like it was a couple days ago. So about how, you know, when you go to plant a church, you really can't do this. You know, have a big room with em- almost empty. No, I'm just kidding. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, you can't do the whole thing, right? The big, there's just a lot you can't do. And uh, what you have to do is assemble together on the first day of the week. You have to keep the ordinances you have to preach the word and make disciples, and you have to be involved in taking the gospel to the uttermost parts of the earth. That's what you have to do, or you're not a legitimate church. If you're not observing the ordinances and you're not meeting together on the first day of the week, well, then you're not a church. I don't care what. You can be a Christian organization, whatever that means, but you're not an, a, 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 you are not a quickened organism. You need to do what the Bible says because, frankly, when you start a church, that's about all you can do. You don't have any other extra resources. You may be working a full-time job. But you've got to do the basic things. Now, we take those for granted. Like, oh, yeah, that's no big deal. Yes, it is a big deal. You, you stop doing those things in a culture, and all of a sudden the lights start to go out. When a church doesn't value those things, and they get too busy doing something else, and they can't afford to meet anymore. Now, I'm not talking about people who are you know, uh, quarantined because of COVID. I'm not, that's not what I'm talking about. But I just mean it just gets to be like, hey, whatever. You know, I got the lake going on, I got this going on, I got that happening, you know, whatever. Hey, man, I tell you, the lights are going out and people are going blind. And getting back to Ron's verse, what happens if you have a Revelation 3, 17 through 21 church that's wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, is you're going to have souls that are lost for all of eternity, and we don't really, and I'll start with me, then we don't really, I don't really value what Jesus, yeah, the souls of men, what Jesus did. What Jesus did on the cross obviously is not impacting me. So I'm, I'm getting fired up about that. So uh, what, what does that got to do with Ephesians? Well, I don't know. Let me get back to where I was at. So that's not, uh, so this is the thing. Um, when we talk about blindness, like in Revelation 3, like I was just talking about, many today are equally blind to the reality that God still has promises left for the Jews that are unfulfilled. So as we get closer to the catching away of the church, the gathering together unto him, People are becoming more and more actually blind to what God wants to do with the nation of Israel. I mean, you have a nation that's been in the plan since 1948. That's a miraculous, that's a miraculous fulfillment of prophecy. Uh, we just had a president, whether you like him or not, this isn't a political statement, it's a historical fact, that just moved the capital to Jerusalem. I mean, for goodness sake, uh, that's huge, right? that's a huge thing. Because Jerusalem's going to be where ground zero is in the tribulation and then also in the millennium. So those are huge events in the Bible prophecy. So these things are coming to pass, things that you... We got a priesthood that want to start offering sacrifices and have red heifers ready. And we have, uh, we have a Sanhedrin, and, uh, we, and we have, there's, they're trying to put together all the elements of a new temple already. There's plans. You can look at, find them online. They got images. They got 3D models of the new temple that they want to put on the mount. I mean, it's, it's unlike Donkey Kong. But you know what? We're not... We're just... We're asleep. We're asleep. We are not really living like today's it. And you know what? 
We could be gone tomorrow and our neighbors could be left here. Sucking wind in the beginning of sorrows. Buying into some guy who rises up as a peacemaker and ignoring or not understanding what the 144,000 Jewish male virgins are even talking about. And so we've got to get after it while we got time. That, that, is, that, that is not because... Uh, it's not because it's not revealed in Scripture. It's because we don't always have a faith-based view of Scripture. We don't really believe it. And we've bought into philosophies about the Bible instead of clearly digging into the Bible to see what it says. Well, what's John MacArthur thinking? What's so-and-so thinking? What's, well, what does the Bible say? Let's start there first. Let's believe what Jesus said. I just heard some some... Stuff. I won't get into the details of it a few days ago, and I, and I just I had verses flying out of my brain, just left and right, and I'm just like, whoa, 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 wait a minute, what about the Bible on this subject? What you think really doesn't matter if the Bible doesn't line up. So, um, you know, man, a grasp of the seven New Testament mysteries takes care of most of the bad theology that, that blinds the church today. So the promise of Christ is the key. Uh, the Gentiles who were saved only needed faith. Uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. They only needed needed to have, uh, they just needed faith uh, to, to uh, circumcise their hearts. They were not compelled to keep the Old Testament law because Jesus had fulfilled it uh, and our entry was into him. And so this was a huge revelation. Even, even Christian Jews struggled to comprehend and I'm talking about born again of Jews, were struggling to comprehend fully what happened, that, the, that their Messiah was available to everybody without any adherence to the law, that he truly fulfilled the law, was the fulfillment of the Old Testament law. Therefore, uh, no one had to keep the law. Now, that was, now, you gotta, now we look back on that and we're like, all oh, those dumb Jews. Well, listen, there was a temple in Jerusalem, and they still had a national identity. And so they were struggling with their national heritage and all the promises that God did give them as a nation. So they had to come to the, listen, listen to me carefully if you're an American. They had to come to a place in their life where they were willing to let go of their national heritage to embrace the fullness of Christ. And I tell you, that's a hard place to be if you're a patriot. And so, uh, so that's, that's difficult to, res- to resign to the fact that, you know what, God's done with my people. He's done with my nation when he gave us all these promises. Well, I don't see that in the Bible. I see that he's going to come back. Well, you're right. He is coming back. But right now, he's done with you for a season. Blindness is in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. He's got another agenda because you know what? He's, he's, don't mistake his meekness for weakness. He's been gracious long enough. You rejected the Messiah. You killed the Messiah. He resurrected. He gave you more chances in Jerusalem. And guess what? You rejected him in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. Just to put an exclamation point on that, here we go. Titus comes in in 70 AD and levels the place. And now you can't worship in Jerusalem. And the next thing on the agenda, by the way, is to worship in Jerusalem. That's what's coming next on the big prophetic calendar today. Because God's attention is going to be turned back to the nation of Israel. How do I know that? Because of the mysteries that were given to the Apostle Paul to give to us. So we know the news before it happens. So, man, that means we got to get after it. That's why the end, of Revel- uh, Re- the end of Ephesians is about how to actually apply what we're learning. So, uh, and so uh, they, there was, they were not compelled to keep the Old Testament law because Jesus had fulfilled it. Um, 
or we're not compelled, I should say, to keep the Old Testament law because we know Jesus fulfilled it. And that was a huge revelation. And they struggled. And I just gave you reasons why. So this is also one of the reasons that God wiped the temple off the planet, as I said, uh, until the coming tribulation. For over 1,900 years, God has been nudging Israel's seed to look past Jerusalem to Jesus, who descended from and to Jerusalem above. Now, beloved, that's something that Americans got to understand, that America is not heaven. And, uh, and not Christian either, by the way. All right, so point C, the revelation of the gift of the grace of God is given to Paul in verses 7 through 11. So Paul was made a minister. Here in verse 7 he says, Wherefore uh, I was made a minister according to uh, the gift of the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So the Spirit of God empowered him to serve. He's a minister um, of the gospel of, of grace, of the, of the grace of God, as it said in verse 2, which was given to him, according to the grace of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. This is the work of God's spirit. All of us who are born again have the same access to God's power. And Paul didn't see himself as special. Uh, you know, he was just thankful to be counted in. Man, I'm just happy to be here. <laughs> you know, every good speech at the, at the Grammys or whatever, you know, I'm just happy to be here. Well, that's true. In Ephesians 3.8, he says, Unto me, who am less than the least of all saints. He truly was a humble man. Is this grace given? There was no merit. It wasn't based on his merit. It wasn't because he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. It was because of the grace of God um, that was given to him, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. Now, if you were hanging out among the apostles of that day, and you were drawing straws on who was going to preach to the Gentiles, I don't think anybody was thinking that was the choice job. Because to them, that's just, that you're going away from the promises and the covenants of God, not toward them. But what God, under, what God did is he takes the weak things to confound the wise and the things that aren't to, to bring the past things that are. And it actually, as the Bible unfolds and the, the revelation is given to Paul and the grace of God is given, guess who, who gets the best part of the inheritance? <laughs> It's the bride of Christ, not because we're Gentiles, but because we're new creatures in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new, not because we deserve it, but because Jesus Christ gave it to us. It's a gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. It's an incredible blessing that isn't merited. And, that's, and so Paul doesn't have to earn it, right? It's been given to him, and he is embracing the grace of God, and he's preaching the grace of God, and he is, he is challenging Peter and those guys to live in the grace of God because that is the way that God is dealing with this dispensation. This mystery is dispensed by grace through faith in Christ alone and his finished work. It's a beautiful thing. So, so Paul was made a minister to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. He was made a minister to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ there in verse 8. Unto me whom less than the least of the saints is this grace given that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So where are, the, where are you going to find the unsearchable riches of Christ? Voila, in a pig snout, in the Gentiles, because <laughs> that's where they've been invested, right? And in the priesthood of believers. And so uh, you could have blown over a Hebrew of Hebrews. Paul would not even grasp the gospel when Stephen was preaching it to him. Uh, but the reality is God is so awesome in his grace and mercy. He forgave Paul of being part of the problem and then makes Paul the solution. <laughs> I mean, what a good God we have. Isn't that the case for all of us? That's right, man. You're, you're either part of the problem or you're the solution. But no matter how much of a problem you are, you're not beyond God's grace. 
So think about that today. There's a lot of people today. You can watch the news tonight. Go home and put, turn on some news. And someone's going to say Donald Trump's a problem. Then they're going to say Joe Biden's a problem. They're going to say Black Lives Matter's a problem. Then they're going to say, you know, white supremacists the problem. Then they're gonna, I mean, it's just going to be divvied up. Your mama's the problem. Your son's the problem. I mean, whatever you, you want to do, everyone's the problem, the problem. But you know what? Jesus is the solution. Amen? He is the solution. And, uh, man, praise God. And you know what? When you receive him as the solution, you become not a problem but a solution. And red and yellow, black and white, I got to say, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. Republican or Democrat, doesn't matter. You know, even Marxists. I have a real heartburn for Marxists. I do not like the Marxist ideology. But you know what? God can save a Marxist and turn him into a gospel-preaching minister. Wouldn't that be awesome? That's what we need to be praying. I just read a good article this morning, by the way, uh, from a Marxist back in the 50s. He was, a, he was actually an African-American Marxist, and uh, he was a tool uh, to divide up the... Uh, the, uh, he was a tool for Marxist uh, powers to do, to try to in America to try to destroy the black community, and so he wrote a wonderful book about that, about the, the principles, kind of like a, a Saul Alinsky gets saved type of guy, uh, and uh, it's very revealing. And so, uh, so you know what? Even Saul Alinsky could get saved if he was not burning in hell right now. And so, uh, you know, you know, what I'm saying. So the thing is, is that people can get saved, and God can make them part of the solution instead of part of the problem. And so, um, okay, so the grace, uh, the grace, the revelation of the grace of God given to Paul, it ends up making him a minister to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ. And Paul ministered in the power of God's spirit according to the gift of God given unto me by the effectual working of his power. So Paul ministered in humility of God's mind unto me who am less than the least of all saints. Paul is the chief of the apostles in Second Corinthians eleven five? Uh, I got to turn to that. Second Corinthians, I'm not moving fast enough. We got to get done here. Second Corinthians eleven and verse five. Let's look at that real quick. Um, it says, "Oh, it's First Corinthians." Second Corinthians comes after First Corinthians, so I'm getting warm. Somebody got it? Go ahead and read it, brother. I got it. For I suppose I was not a whit behind the very chiefest apostles and that so paul says you know what uh but you know what even though i wasn't a whit behind the chiefest of apostles he says um oops i lost my spot uh 11 5 he goes but though i be rude in speech yet, am, yet not in knowledge but ha have been thoroughly made manifest among you in all things have i committed an offense in abasing myself that ye might be exalted because i have preached to you the gospel of god freely so paul he is the chief of sinners in first timothy 1 15 he says i'm a i'm the chief of sinners so here he is the least of all saints paul understood his place his authority was that of, of the chief apostle uh, but his identity in the flesh was that of the chief of sinners and his identity in the body was that of the least of the saints and would to god we would be so clear on our relationship with authority uh, the flesh and the body of christ man paul had it squared away uh, he understood his relationship with the authority, with flesh, and the body of Christ. I mean, among the body, we're the least of saints. With our flesh, we're the chief of sinners. But with God, we're sons of God. Man, it's incredible. Your identity is so important. And that describes the scope of Paul's ministry. Paul preached among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. He had those riches. This is what he was describing in Ephesians 1 and 2, the spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ. So let me run through those real quick. So the Bible, the Bible gives several examples of unsearchable riches. 
Okay, where am I at? I skipped some things. Yeah, I did. Here we go. His peace is past finding out. Uh, man, praise God, Philippians 4, 7. Uh, and I was wanting to turn to these, but for time's sake, I'm going to keep moving because I want to, I'm just about done. I want to get done tonight. Uh, his, you can got the notes there. His gift is indescribable, 2 Corinthians 9, 13. Uh, his love is unquenchable, Song of Solomon 8, 7. Uh, his words are unspeakable, 2 Corinthians 12, 4. His joy, uh, it's also unspeakable. I mean, that's incredible. His greatness is infinite. Uh, his, his judgments are unsearchable. And he, and he himself, uh, the Bible says, is past finding out in Job eleven seven. So here's eight things, new beginning. His peace is past finding out. His gift is indescribable. His love is unquenchable. His words are unspeakable. His joy is, uns, is, is uns, it should be unsearchable probably. His greatness is infinite. His judgment's unsearchable. And he himself is past finding out. Job eleven seven, and so this describes the scope of our ministry. That's the scope. What's that? Joy unspeakable. I got that. I got words unspeakable. Second Corinthians twelve four, and his joy is unspeakable. Uh, verses First uh, Peter one eight. So this describes the scope of our ministry. Ephesians three nine through eleven. The Bible says here, and, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God who created all things by Jesus Christ to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known how are they going to know by the church the manifold wisdom of God there's a reason Robert's rules of order you know that was developed in the church that was a thing for churches the, the mayflower the mayflower compact is the basis for for the the uh, constitution of the United States as, long, as well as the Magna Carta, which all were theological documents based in faith. All of those things now lead in the corporate world. Corporate world, you know, Robert's Rules of every board of directors in the United States and around the world, they operate by Robert's Rules of Order. How did that, where did that come from? Christians doing things decently and in order, trying to structure the local church and honor God. And so a lot of people, I didn't know that until a few years ago, after, somewhere after we started the church. I was like, wow, Robert's Rules of Order, because those things are like, Nowadays, church, we're like, man, I don't want to do that. I had no idea that was based out of Christianity until I, I looked into it. I was like, wow, how crazy is that? So uh, why do I bring that up? Because Paul says it right here. He says, you know what? The principalities, to the intent that now under the principalities, that's the, the people in charge and the powers in heavenly places even, might be known by the church, the manifold wisdom of God. If there's going to be any wisdom found, you are not going to find it. In Washington, D.C., does any I can get an amen on that. Amen. So you're going to find it in the Word of God. You're going to find it in the Word of God and the Church of God, the pillar and the ground of truth. That's where the wisdom's at. You know, most charitable organizations, the most charitable groups in the world are churches, period, still to this day. And, and more gets done through the local church. You know, the biggest, some of the best and the most, I, I've, I mean, a few years ago, there was a big apology tool for how Independent Fundamental Baptists exported all their legalism around the world. And I agree with that, and they did, and they shouldn't have done it. But I will tell you this. At least the Fundamental Independent Baptists went all over the world with the gospel like they should have with very little resources and got incredible results. And, uh, and so I sat with a pastor in Mexico who told me how he was brought in. He wasn't an orphan, but he was brought in like he was an orphan into a missionary's home and learned how to eat at a table, learned how to put his life together. An Independent Fundamental Baptist 
and his life was forever changed because of the influence and the investment of the Word of God in his life, coming out of complete poverty. Every one of his siblings, not everyone, most of his brothers are to this day, if they're alive, are in cartel business. And he's a preacher of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, because some missionaries invested in him. And so, anyway, get off people that do the, you know, a lot of people that are throwing stones have never done it themselves. So just, you know, when you go out and try to reach the world yourself, then I'll listen to you. So moving on. So we're charged to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery. All men everywhere everywhere still need to repent, according to Acts 17.30, right? All men everywhere. Look at that. In the times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commanded all men everywhere to repent. And so, wow, uh, according to the eternal purpose which he purposed in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is what God's wanting. He's wanting not some men everywhere to repent. He's wanting all men everywhere to repent. That's what he really wants. It doesn't mean they're going to do it, but he's wanting them all to. That's his will. He is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You cannot get around that. And you also can't get around the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. God has fixed it, so you cannot get around that. So Paul was taking this wisdom uh, to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. Peter alludes to this as well. In 1 Peter, i got a verse for you here. Uh, in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 10, he says, Of which salvation the prophets have inquired and searched diligently, who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. Right? Now Peter, he's gotten some New Testament grasp on the, on the mysteries. Now he's looking at the Old Testament in a new light. He's like, whoa, I look back in the Old Testament and I see Ruth and I see grace. I see Boaz... I see Ruth, I see grace. I look back at Esther, man, I see some grace going on there. I see that God is working with grace even in the Old Testament. I look at, the book, I look at Joshua in the promised land, and, and when, when people should have gotten axed, and when Rahab should have died, there's a red thread. Now she's got grace. Man, now I'm seeing blood, and I see crimson, and I see grace, and all these guys are starting to see their Old Testament in a whole other light, and they're reading it. And I see that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And I know when he got off that ark, those, weren't, those boys weren't that straight, because look what happened. I mean, they were a mess. And so, I mean, he could see grace, so searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ which was in them did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow, unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into." You Gentiles are getting in on stuff that, man, we, did, we can only see now in the Old Testament. God was revealing to them this Gentile bride, Ruth, becoming redeemed by a Jewish kinsman redeemer. All these things, the, that there's a Gentile woman, right, that's, that's uh, in the, named Rahab, the harlot, who's in the line, the seed line of David. And all of a sudden, this Gentile grafting in to the Israel's promises starts to come to light to these guys. And Peter's like going, Whoa! It's been here the whole time, and this whole time we thought it was for us, but really now we see that God's had a Gentile bride prepared. And man, what a marvelous thing this is. Yeah, Ron. That's right. Right. And uh, these were things that those guys had to grapple with. But the world did not rotate around them. The prophecies didn't even rotate all around them. That they were just a part. So the revelation of the purpose. Let me wrap this up because I'm about out of time. The revelation of the purpose revealed through the body of Christ. Last verse and then we'll be done for tonight. We'll pick this up so I can get to the next part on the intercession because it goes to praying next. In whom we have boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. 
All right, so the revelation, the, the revelation of the purpose revealed through the body of Christ um, is, is the, is, it is the body of Christ that reveals the relationship all men can have with God by faith in him. So it is the body of Christ that reveals the relationship all men can have with God by faith in him. This is why we radiate his glory. Glory is light. We radiate the light. We become the light of the world when we step into the light of Christ. And God literally wants us to reveal Christ to the lost and dying world. And this is the vision of HBF from the first day till now. And I'll leave with this. Philippians 2.12 Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. That doesn't mean work to be saved, but take what's in you and get it out with fear and trembling. Because you know that people are going to die and go to hell if you don't bust out some light. For it is God which worketh in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. Do all things without murmuring. So he doesn't just tell you what to do. Now he goes, now let me tell you how to do it. Get the light out, which is the word of God. Get the light out and do it without murmuring and disputing. Don't be fighting among yourselves. Quit it. You know, people, oh yeah, I just can't help myself. No, you choose not to help yourself. You choose to be disobedient. That ye may be blameless and harmless as sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine, 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 shine as lights in the world. We have this boldness and access with confidence by the faith of him. And so uh, when we come back together, we're going to talk about, I don't think I put this up here. Yeah, we, I did. Good job. That's thumbprints. That's the identity. We've been talking about this identity. Paul was the apostle but he understood his identity as a, as, a, uh, as a prisoner. He was a humble man in relation to the body of Christ. And when it came to what he was in his flesh, he's the chief of sinners. Yet, he's got the unsearchable riches of Christ. It's been trusted to him to him to get to everybody else. And you know what? His story is our story. And so next time we get back together, we're going to talk about this, the next part of this, which is intercession for the body of Christ. If you're not praying for the church, I can tell you something right now you don't care for. If you're not praying for Jan Smith, you don't care about Jan Smith. Oh, man, I'm glad to know Jan. Well, then we're just gossiping. I'm glad to know this. I'm glad to know this. Well, who cares what we know about people? What we need to do is be taking what we know to the Lord. That's called prayer. That's intercessory prayer. We need to be in sincere, sincere prayer. So I'm getting ahead of myself. But next time when we get together, we'll talk about that. And eventually, uh, even in those prayers, it starts to reveal the scope and the magnitude some things that Paul wants us to understand, to comprehend, which will lead us into the last half of the book of Ephesians. So uh, any questions? Let me park it there. That was a lot of, that, even though that was a little, that was still a lot. So more than I was anticipating. So um, I really wanted to walk through all those things that point by point, but you can look up the references uh, that we, we were looking at uh, in regard to um, the peace, the gift, the love, the words, the joy, the greatness, the judgment, and all of those things. Wonderful, wonderful things that we have in Christ. And that's just a sampling. All right. No questions? Is anyone still online? Is everyone asleep? All right. Well, it's about night-night time. It's 8 o'clock, and the sun's going to start setting earlier each week. So uh, it's going to feel later as we go. But uh, thank you for coming tonight. Uh, let's go ahead and then have a word of prayer. We'll be dismissed. Heavenly Father.